0: This is episode 34 of the podcast called Blood and Rain. I'm your host, Arthur Dean.
1: Asian Man Rising. What is Asian Man Rising? Inspired by the manosphere and the global efforts directed towards redefining, reclaiming, and elevating masculinity and men's self worth, but tailored specifically for Asian men. Asian men have been emasculated to the point where we're the submissive gay caricature in pop culture, the awkward nerd that doesn't know how to talk to women and frail boys who can't lift more than 10 pounds. Add to this corrosive mix the rise of feminist supremacism and toxic masculinity propaganda, men have been told countless times in the last century that we are evil, we are trash, and we must be put down for the good of humanity. Men used to be warriors, philosophers, artists, explorers, conquerors, and rebels. The goal here with this space is to tailor the values and symbols and masculine principles towards Asian men and men of Asian descent specifically. This is a place for discussion and debate, the sharing of stories and experiences, a place of accountability and integrity, a place where men can connect and most importantly, be comfortable in being what and who they are, men. It's time to make Asian men masculine again. Welcome to the Asian Man Rising, we rise together.
0: And that was the opening piece from a new account in this renaissance of men and I would certainly say has a foot in the solar sphere as well. An account that, honestly, I feel has been a long time coming. Um, I sort of have been hoping for something like this to materialize for some time. Uh, and I'm very excited that it has indeed. And the man behind that materialization is named Yang Lee. He's originally from the great state of Maryland. He's a Marine. He's a very intelligent and deep thinker. And he has a lot to say on the restoration of masculinity in the realm of Asian men. I'm very excited to talk with Young, especially after him and I got to know each other in person, walking through uh, a rising San Francisco, to be quite honest. A San Francisco that is actually beginning to show its change for the better. So it was incredible to meet him there. It was incredible, uh, quite frankly, to go bar hopping at some of the best bars in the world. And it was incredible getting to know him, and I'm, I'm very excited to record now. So, Young, uh, thank you for finally doing this, man.
1: Yeah, Arthur, it's so great to be here. Um, it's unfortunate, you know, we couldn't actually record it in person like we were supposed to, but, I mean, I think that just goes to show the level of conversations, you know, we were having in person.
0: Absolutely. And for the listeners, yeah, Yong um, and I were introduced by uh, Will Spencer from Renaissance Men, <laughs> uh through a little group chat and uh you know him and i you know i saw odd eye on a lot of things and he uh he was doing a road trip through the western united states and he said he'd be in the bay and i said there's no way in hell you know despite whatever schedule i have uh that you and i aren't gonna hang out we had too good of a time and forgot to record to be quite honest so (laughs)
1: um
0: we're gonna record near the golden gate with some logistical errors so uh you know, for the listener, that that's that, that was the situation. But uh, yeah, the conversations were great. I, I have no doubt the conversation uh, now on the record will be uh, of the same caliber.
1: Absolutely.
0: So, for the listener, um, if you could tell them a bit about your background, not only about you know the literal aspects of your background, but also how this idea of Asian Man Rising has sort of emerged throughout your your childhood your adulthood and into present day
1: yeah absolutely um so uh i'm a korean immigrant i was born in korea uh, but i moved to the states when i was a baby and so really my identity is kind of rooted more in american culture than it is korean um it was kind of like an identity crisis growing up because you know, there's this, uh, perception of Asians as the, uh, the forever immigrant of basically like Asians, no matter like who they are. I've always like kind of held onto this identity of always being a foreigner to the country. And so that was pretty tough growing up. You know, it's like, well, I feel more American, but I don't, I'm not being accepted as American. Um, And I I didn't really like my Korean identity growing up just because it, you know, it felt different compared to what the Western ideas were. Um, So it was a pretty rough growing up, I guess, uh, growing up as as an Asian immigrant. Um, But, you know, fast forward later, I you know, being Asian, going to college was kind of like the thing we do. And uh, to my mother's big disappointment, uh, I had decided college was not for me. And uh, I had convinced her the military was the better option, given that, you know, we're not financially stable. Uh, My father was not exactly the typical providing man type. And so it was a lot of growing up very quickly to kind of fill that role of man of the household. Um, So even like when I got my first job at 16, my paycheck had been going to my mother in order to help, you know, just kind of add a little bit of extra. Support into the family. Um, So I guess that was really my introduction into manhood. It was really just trial by fire, right? Because I didn't have anybody to look up to. Uh, All my relatives, as far as like my uncles and things like that, though they're all in Korea still. And it was really just my grandmother, my mother, and me, and my brother, Uh, my younger brother. And so, it was really just kind of figure it out as I go. And it's weird how I kind of stumbled upon the whole Renaissance of Men movement too. Um, KJ, you know, had like started following me randomly because we had like a couple of mutual friends and we were like big into the gun community and all that stuff. And you know, we'd like react to each other's stories here and there, a bunch of like, you know, the typical red pill stuff that you see on KJ's page and on mine as well. And, and then he's like, one day he was like, hey man, uh, I don't know if you know about this guy, Will Spencer, uh, but you should go check out his page and hit him up. And this was like while I was deployed recently. Um, so it was about, I guess like four months now. today? It's August now, huh? Yeah, there's no August. I guess it was like (laughs) six months ago now. Wow. Uh, Yeah, and you know, just in the last six months, it was just like, oh, shoot. Like, there's so many people who are like trying to figure out this identity of like what a man should be, you know, and just kind of like trying to set the stage for this like masculine revival and you know, it's It's been a very interesting journey so far, even in the last six months. Um, I feel like I kind of went off on a tangent there. Didn't even really stick to my story timeline correctly. (laughs) Um, No worries. But yeah, I I ended up joining the military. um, Spent eight years in the Marine Corps. I worked as a communications guy, so a lot of like satellite technology, radios, uh, computers, uh, those type of stuff. And uh, it was a interesting experience. A lot of different deployments around the Pacific uh, to the Middle East as well. And, you know, during those eight years, it was really just trying to figure out, like, like, what kind of person was I going to be? Like, I had originally joined to do just four years, um, like most most kids do, and I ended up after my first four years having no plan on what to do. I didn't want to go to school because school still felt like a giant waste of time for me. Um, So I ended up just staying in another four. Uh, I spent some time with special operations and did some deployments with those guys. And it was a really cool experience really. being surrounded by such high caliber men um warriors really you know and that definitely i think molded a lot of my identity as far as what a man i think is um, and even in korean culture you know haven't been conquered throughout most if not all of its history, uh, there's this sense of warrior spirit in Korean culture as well. And so I guess that was like my way of kind of identifying with both the Korean and American masculine spheres. But um, yeah, and I had gotten out about two years ago now. and. I mean, this is what I do now, right? It's just trying to figure out how to get that same message out to other Asian-Americans who have, or Asians in general, really, on how to find our masculine identity again, um, especially after generations of Hollywood just bastardization of what Asian men are. Um, yeah, I guess that's kind of a little background about me.
0: I mean, it's it's a hell of a background. You and I discussed it while in San Francisco. And there, there were a lot of really big, you know, eyebrow raisers as you were talking about your background. One of the big ones. Um, I mean, I, a friend of mine actually did a, she wrote an essay on, Cause she has a she has an AA in psychology before she became a nurse,
1: hmm.
0: and she uh, she showed me an essay she wrote about how working during high school affects girls and it affects boys, and for girls it actually had a lot of like negative effects, which really? I found very interesting, but for guys. Um, you know, it, it instilled a sense of like accomplishment and duty and discipline and steadfastness. Um, if you have a job during high school, because it's just adding on further obligations. So it's, it's um, I guess maybe you'd get this with like a very highly motivated student athlete or um, maybe someone who's excelling in the arts and maintaining good grades. Um, just this notion that you put a men like, yeah, it's a lot, but you're a man, so that's life. Um, and not even being able to personally use like the fruits of your of your income, it going directly to families it almost compounds that that level of duty and discipline, um, for some for a cause greater than yourself, cause of your mother, honestly, especially while you're, while, while while she's raising you through you know the most turbulent turbulent years of being raised. That was one big eye-opener for me. Uh, another one was. I remember the level of conviction that you conveyed to me when you said like, because I, I certainly didn't have this conviction um, uh, when it came to your decision about college. Um, I mean, at the time when I was, when I personally was applying to colleges, I was applying for acting schools um, the first time around all American acting schools. Um, so, Uh, I I saw that as the only way, but um, maybe just through your situation, you're able to very practically see that, you know, paying a boatload of money for four years where you could really give yourself that education with a certain amount of discipline and a certain amount of organization and resourcefulness and research. um, And basically just with more conviction than I've seen from anyone, honestly say that college, you know, didn't make any sense um on top of that you coming like you said from a culture where higher education is almost deemed as like the greatest thing basically um like higher education is the the gateway to you know like most immigrant stories not just asian immigrant stories but you know a lot of cuban immigrant stories i know in florida it's like they 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 swam over they started working as dishwashers and they put themselves through law school through medical school so it's like Mm -hmm. seemed as like the holy grail in Asian culture. So you having that level of conviction at such a young age is a fascinating thing to me. Um, nice. Yeah, um, absolutely. But,
1: no, you're absolutely right. You know, that's not just an Asian thing. It's kind of just an immigrant thing at this point. And, you know, America has that symbol of, you know, like hope, of like of making it, making like a name for yourself. Um, and so I think that mixed with you know being korean and and then later on being in the military it's like well it's like i'd be doing a giant disservice if i didn't try you know not just to like my parents or anything like that but like to me too you know it's like and it's crazy too it's like 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 any other normal person like I enjoy, you know, just sitting back, relaxing, having a drink, smoking a cigar, or whatever the case might be, right? But like, at the end of the day, it's like, it's like okay, now I need to like, get up and do something. Like, I need to go work out or even just walk the dogs, it's like, like I don't like sitting still. And I think, I mean, at least, I would hope all men feel the same way. You know, it's, And I think that's, like, the biggest tragedy right now, too. It's, like, there's this acceptance of just sitting idly by, like, well, like, we'll just do it whenever we do it, or people can't figure out what they even, like, want to go eat. Like, okay, like, guys, take (laughs) charge and, like, figure yourself out.
0: Absolutely. I mean, the the ideal of men, like, uh, Forrest Munden was the first person to introduce me to this, but I know it's, it's it's you know, the lore of Jack Donovan is his just groundbreaking books, honestly, is that the ideal of men is action. Like, thinking is good, praying is good. But men are built for action. Men are built of, you know, forging something out of nothing. And... I mean, I think that's that that that's an issue with men in general lately, and a lot of people want to blame modernity. A lot of people want to blame the fact that there's no conflict. Like, there's no conflict that every man can tangibly be a part of and grow from, um, with the stakes of with the stakes potentially being death. Um, you, you you could point to a lot of things, but when it comes down to it. It's, it's like Theodore Roosevelt's the man in the arena. The guy is doing The guy who's doing is already doing a lot more than the guy who's just thinking about it. Um, that's kind of a play, that's kind of like a, a, a genuine plague in manhood right now. And with, with your basically manifesting your ideals, gaining your ideals through a martial culture, through true martial culture, and uh, I listened to your podcast with my Basque brother uh, Devin Madrano. Um, shout out to uh, shout out to him to the listener, uh, Devin. If for those of you who listen and remember, uh, he is the Instagram account NaturePilled. Uh, we call him the High Bard of Chattistan due to his gift of the bard, and he has a podcast out now. Uh, that actually really shows the other side of him this very you know meditative, well-spoken, cerebral aside. Um, Young and I were joking about that then we first heard, when we heard his first episode of his new podcast, uh, we were like, oh, interesting. We thought it was just gonna be this all like <laughs> volume raised up to 12. you know, <laughs> It's just
1: just like super chad like. Oh, fuck you, everybody. Like, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, like full send, like dunking on, you know, I'm, I'm not going to go there. But you're dunking on <laughs> yeah. certain people. Um, but, yeah, and it turned out to be this very, like, honestly, like, elegant, just heartfelt, powerful, cerebral, hushed intensity message. And the name of that podcast is The Sovereign Path for the listener. And Young is the first guest that Devin had on the show. And never talked about this. That you know, I come from a martial I come from a martial arts background. Obviously, um, for those of you who don't know that, I don't I don't know how if you've been listening or been following my page. <laughs> but uh, I'm training to go pro in Muay Thai and kickboxing. Eventually, MMA, but striking first. Um, and I think outside of war. Maybe being a firefighter or a cop depending on, you know, where you're performing that profession. Outside of that, I don't think there's a higher stress stimulus than actually you know I don't think there's a higher stress stimulus than martial arts with the exception of being an actual warrior. Like you're taking shit money, actually you're making no money. You're training all hours of the day that you're not working, just making ends meet. To get no ring for 15 minutes and if the judges screw you over you may not get another shot and you're doing all of this just to be able to throw bones at each other at a very high level but there's no there's no stake of death like the high the, high, <laughs> the highest stakes is the martial culture so even if you're in the military and you're not you know fighting some battle as an infantryman that essence of martial culture and that essence, that intensity radiates throughout its entirety. Um, So could you speak more on how that, how how being in the Marines for eight years, like molded you and how that sort of went further in this epiphany of this lack of manhood, I guess, let's just call it the Western world for now, but also the, the stereotype, like the stereotyping of the Asian man in the Western world. And what's what maybe what maybe fueled the fire for that stereotype and what is completely
1: unfounded? Um Man, uh so I guess as far as like Asians in the military go, uh, there's kind of this uh how do I put it? Kind of like a subconscious like joke I guess you could say where you know Asians are just stereotyped as like being the smart ones um, and I would like I would counter back like you know just jokingly I'd uh, be like look guys if I was as smart as you said you were first off I'd be at college and even if I joined the military I would not be in the Marine Corps you know because Marines are kind of joked around as like being the dumb branch just a bunch of like cavemen crayon eaters and all that (laughs) yeah but with that you know the marine corps there's this identity of the marine corps as being like oh like they're the first to fight they're the first ones in they take no prisoners type situations you know Mm -hmm. and so as a kid who grew up really quiet and kind of timid it was like a very sudden change in what my identity had to be it's like either I was going to get pushed around and be all quiet or I could like you know man up for lack of better words uh, and kind of like fight back with that same intensity and I think that's really how my identity as a man kind of got molded. Just finding a finding a way to be a bit more intense in that aspect. Mm. And I think at least for me, I feel like it worked in my favor because it it almost kind of bounced itself out where I still have the ability to be intense, if need be, but for the most part, I'm more of a like, a quiet guy, I'll hang out in the background, and, like, like, people watch, or, just, like, assess the situation, or whatever the case might be, and, and, yeah, I think that's, that's how the military was for me, at least. Um, There's definitely people who join, and they still stay timid, or whatever the case might be, and, that it sucks, I guess, some people are more inclined to, you know, go into their shell, so to speak, you know, to protect themselves. Yeah, I mean, uh, go ahead.
0: Oh, and I was, I was, I was just saying, I was like, you and I had a conversation about this too, walking up a hill towards uh, towards Grace Cathedral in the city. It's like, it's not necessarily needing to be sort of full sin all the time. Like, I think people, a lot of, a lot of people confuse that with. With masculinity and, and some guys, you know, Devin's that guy, right? KJ and uh, for the listener, when we spoke speak about KJ, KJ was uh, the guest for, I um, believe, episode 27, the Steadfast Homesteader, the legendary KJ says words. Um, you know, those guys are full send. That's their personality, right? It's not necessarily about being full send that determines masculinity, that determines manhood or intensity. It's just like, are you, are you if, if, if shit goes down, are you ready to throw it out? Like, I don't care if you say five words. If you're if you're about it, you're about it. And I can typically tell, and you can typically tell, who's, who, we, like, we talked about, uh, you know, some, some fights we've gotten into or some fights we, we, we almost got into. And, you know, typically the guy who's, you know, yelling pretty loud and he's sort of, like, leading, leading by, like, puffing his chest. I'm like, I know you don't want to fight, okay?
1: Yeah. Because if... <laughs>
0: If you wanted to fight, you wouldn't be coming at me in a completely deficient, like physical position for fighting, right? I could tip you over. Um, if I see you sort of like you're walking at me, leading with one leg, your hips are turned, like you're about to throw, I'm like oh, okay, he's now. Or if you're coming at me with sort of somewhat crouched, you know, like almost in a grappler's position, oh yeah, he's definitely that for sure.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and and Yaga and I talked about, uh, you know. So some some fights and near fight encounters like this, um, but I think I think that's important. You know, it's like it's not sort of like what you're saying. Like, it balances out. Yeah, you have the intensity, but you don't need to leave it at all
1: times. Right. And I mean, that's also not to take away from like guys like Devin and KJ. Like, there's absolutely a need for people who can be intense like that. Um, but also, I think I think a balance is always important. Um, It's probably one of my more favorite concepts of Taoism, of that yin and yang, just having the balance of the dark and the light, uh, wherever you want to take that idea with. um. But, yeah, it's just, I think, I don't know if it's just a combined thing of like Hollywood and, You know all the anti-asian laws that have been in existence in america specifically and all that but i feel like asian men kind of forgot how to be men and on top of that they've just like kind of you know belly up rolled over and was like you know what like i'd rather not deal with any of the anti-asian sentiments or whatever the case might be and just like you know keep my head down and uh it's kind of sad especially if you look throughout any culture's history in asia it's like we've had people who like are absolute savages in the battlefield Mm -hmm. you know it's so it's like to think like your parents or your grandparents had survive through literal wars and famine and economic like just destruction and it's like really this is how you're gonna kind of carry on their legacy (laughs) it's like I forget what post it was but it was like talking about how like however many like grandparents great grandparents it took for you to be here and you just you know Belly up, roll over, and essentially spit on their faces.
0: I mean, I think, I think that's a general theme for a lot of, a lot of men now. It's just which, like, which, you, sure. your ancestors look at you and say, "What the fuck."
1: Yeah.
0: I mean, may, maybe there's 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 such a thing as getting too wrapped up in that. Forrest Monter and I actually talked about that briefly, but. Like, whenever I like feel like bad about my circumstances, I think of two things. I think of <laughs> my family living under Franco, Peron, Mussolini, the reign of terror in Argentina. Um, just a number of shit that they had to deal with. Mm. Being an Orthodox Christian, I think about what Russian Orthodox Christians had to go through with the rise of communism, and then I just think about something like what's going on in Syria right now. And then I just stop and say to myself, "These aren't problems. Like your problems aren't actual problems, <laughs> right?" <laughs> right. <laughs> I tell myself that all the time. Like, man, fuck. Like, I'm like, wait, what? I did, did? Anyway, have I have coworkers, honestly, in the bar the bar industry that will like talk about things like they're just. Gigantic problems, and I'm like, and I'll mention like my problems that are like maybe have a higher degree of severity. Like, oh my god, are you okay? I'm like, dude, I'm fine. Like, <laughs> I remember, I, I, uh, I, like, I actually two nights ago, I stepped on glass, and I was wearing minimalist shoes. Like, oh my god, Arthur, are you okay? I'm like, yeah, it's fine. Like, like, did you get cut? I'm like, yeah. Like, are you bleeding? I'm like, yes. Yeah, it's, it's not that big a deal. Like, and I just like. Put antiseptic on, it, like, and you know, I, I bandaged my foot, and I just went back to work. And they're like if you want to take the rest of that off, I'm like, guys, I bartended with a fractured shin. I got bills to pay, like I, I don't care. Um, yeah, and like if your ancestors looked at you, like just now. With what they had to deal with, would they be proud or would they be disgusted, honestly? Or I don't want to say that, that maybe, you know, a little bit of a traumatic word to say to listeners. Would they be disappointed, honestly?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And, you know, that's, that's a powerful thing to think about. And like you said, like, with a few exceptions, you know, maybe the Caucasus and, you know, Hellenic Greece, um, parts of South America and North America, you know, Apache knife fighters. The bulk of martial arts comes from Asia. Like the book of the martial, like the military arts, comes from Chinese culture uh, of its many iterations—Han Chinese culture, Hmong culture, Japanese culture, Korean culture, Mongolian wrestling culture, Thailand, obviously for Muay Thai. The some of the best knife fighting in the world comes from Indonesia, the Philippines, Malaysia. So it's 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 kind of the the more the more you dive into it, it's like how much is industrialization to blame how much is westernization to blame when it comes to the context of asian immigration to the western world how much of that transition itself is to blame you know you you talked about you know very anti asian laws and you know you and i were walking through chinatown in san francisco and the chinese railroad workers who worked on the central pacific railroad to meet the union pacific to join eastern the eastern and west united states that sort of kind of healed as best as it could the country after a war between North and South. Chinese men weren't allowed to marry and have kids, so a whole generation came here and died. Right. And it's I, I know down in San Jose as well, I saw a film uh, in their Japantown, because I believe their Japantown is larger than the one in San Francisco. That, really? yeah, yeah. Um, there was actually a Japantown that was built next to the Chinatown in San, in, in San Jose, and the Chinatown in San Jose no longer exists. Um, it just sort of disappeared. And the Japantown, you saw, I was watching this film, you saw, like, you know, photos. You know, they were growing up American. They were wearing letter jackets. You know, they were having, you know, Western hairstyles, basically. They were they were growing up American. So they're growing up in American culture, and then they were hit with um, Japanese internment. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the more you and I dive into this, it's, it's a fascinating question as to how Asian men in the West world got to where they are. And I guess maybe at least for the case of, of China, like when you see accounts of the skirmishes between the Chinese military and the Indian military in, in Northern India, that, you know, that the, the military of the Chinese was like physically weak and, um, I think Sikh uh, yes. divisions of, of the Indian military were still doing very well, but the Sikh religion maintains a very um, martial tradition as well. So it's becoming more, like, the more you and I hashed out, it's, it's becoming more of a fascinating question. Like, what in, in your personal opinion, like, what's your diagnosis of how the, the current situation came to be?
1: I feel like there's so many different ways to really look at it like like you said you had like the Japanese internment or the Chinese exclusion Act. like there was definitely you know laws that were put in place and then there's society as a whole where you know socially it was unacceptable for Asian men to reproduce and you know it's just a combination of all these things right there's of developed and evolved into this identity of like, oh, like Asian men are now you know, undesirable, or they're they're weak, or they like Asian women are temptresses or whatever the case might be, right? And so yeah, I I don't think it's really just one big thing. I think it's really just a collection of multiple little things that throughout history and you know. It, any government not just america like they paint a specific crowd as an enemy whether it's you know like the war on terrorism and the muslim population or the war on drugs and like south america and central america um, it's it's always painting into painting somebody into a the picture of being a bad guy and ultimately that is just for control right like how do we control the mass majority of the country uh it's like well let's find them something to hate whether it's each other or some outside source but not us we have to paint ourselves into like we're the good guys like we're gonna come save you guys And I think that's another big thing too. I think a lot of minority populations have painted the government as, like, the symbol of hope, whereas it should be the people of the country that is the symbol of hope. Um, Yeah, it's it's such a loaded question. Yeah, I don't know if there is any specific thing that resulted in us being at this situation.
0: Yeah, I mean it's it's cer- it's certainly a case of, of gradualism, and I, I guess I guess the reason I ask is because this is something I've i thought about for some time, to be honest. Um, as like I shared with you. <laughs> On the tail end of our San Franciscan excursion, um, with both my parents being, you know, Euro immigrants, and um, you know, I, I grew up with when it when it comes to Western culture, I grew up more with more European culture in the household than I did American. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my first ten years of schooling, uh, I was actually primarily—I was—I was actually the only white kid in my school um everyone was everyone in my school was um was asian of you know whether that be south asian or japanese or middle eastern um so i grew up i grew up with asian culture um pretty up close uh, down to the things that i ate the things that i watched um things that i read um interactions and I, to be abundantly honest when i got to rich American private high school full of, you know, American trust fund babies. I fucking hated it. Um, and I didn't I didn't really know how to navigate that, honestly. I guess maybe I didn't really know how to ex- express myself in the sense that, like, yeah, I'm not really, like, I'm white, but I'm not really like you guys because what I grew up with in the household and what I grew up with, school up until this point is very different. Um, and I actually started to see this stereotyping of the Asian students by like these, you know, richer, you know, need to be punched in the face, white trust and baby types, you know. Um, and I just, I mean, and, and a lot of the Asian people that I grew up with, you know, were accomplished martial artists. They were tough guys. They were well-read. They were disciplined. And this is before the age of 14. Um, so that that question always raised an eyebrow to me as to like where this stereotype came from. You know, the more you the more you track through history, um, you know, the more it makes sense in, in the context of the Western world. Um, I can't speak on what you know, how things transition um, in the homeland and in, in, in the Asian home continent. Um you know, a lot of people in our sphere just like immediately like blame anime. It's like, dude, it's literally anime's fault. I'm like,
1: yeah, <laughs>
0: right. Uh, there's a lot of like strange, you know, degenerate anime out there, but there's also some pretty high-thumos anime that, quite frankly, will change your life. Um, sure. But it, it raised an eyebrow to me in 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 America where this stereotype. Stereotype came from. I um, mean, it's, it's it's speaking on uh, what you said about your your experience in the military. Uh, you're <laughs> after speaking with you, I know, damn well you're very smart, so you don't fit the stereotype of a crayon <laughs> eating marine.
1: Um,
0: so let's 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 get let, let's let that be said. Um, and the other thing is. Well, I guess, I guess the other thing is my, my question to you and what your goals now are for Asian men rising. Like, what do you see the path of restoration being for Asian men?
1: Ultimately, you know, I I am just one person. And my goal would be that there are other Asian men out there who, you know, kind of... pick up on uh, things that i can't dive into specifically whether it's like more like a philosophical background or uh, more of a martial type background because you know you see masculine pages now and they all have like a like a theme right whether Mm. they're more like sumos type, like oh, pagan, like warrior Vikings, or you have more like people who are a bit more philosophical in the way that they approach things. Um, ultimately, that would be, I think, my goal. It, right now, it's obviously getting the message out there that, hey, like we also belong in this space. And eventually, I would really like to see other pages or whatever exists out there at the time, um, kind of taking the reins and like finding themes that they can enjoy and, you know, dive in deeper into I guess the quote unquote quote rabbit hole of the masculine sphere. I would,
0: have mean, I would have to, like, this, the content creation thing is an interesting thing, honestly. When it comes to, I mean, so, you and I are in Will Spencer's inner circle, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And Will Spencer's goal is the renaissance of men. It's the rebirth of men. And, you know, he in a podcast he was a guest and he talked about it. Being and you know not cyclical but linear, right? This is a, this is something new. This is a rebirth, and I, I think, despite that, though there are things in the past, like things in the past that need to be brought back to the present and in the future. But there's going to be new alterations to adjust for a different world, a postmodern world, and I think post, I've discussed this before, but postmodernism seems to be fading. And I think, honestly, the reason it seems to be fading is because it seems to me that men are waking up to their... Men in general are waking up to their current predicament, basically. Mm -hmm. Um, They're getting educated about diminishing testosterone levels. They're realizing the lack of fulfillment is from a lack of struggle and a lack of purpose and a lack of, you know, a goal for a life's work. They realize that a post- you know, World War era, as an era that was, you know, economically prosperous, but it was something that led to a mental, emotional, and spiritual decay as a man that was blinded by a lot of alcoholism, honestly. Um, the, I mean, the, the alcoholism culture in, in, in this country is kind of astounding, to be honest, and I'm, I'm saying that as a bartender, um, and I'm saying that as someone who is very much trying, is not trying, is very much on his way out of bartending. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the, the content creation thing is interesting because you, you sort of start just sort of writing stuff, you start posting, you start sharing aesthetics and you don't really have a full grasp on the ripple effect, right? Right. Like, you don't really know how you affected people, and that just goes for life in general. Like, I, I bumped into a, a customer I had as a bartender a while ago, and he said I inspired him to get in shape and turn his life around. I was like, what? Okay. I, I was, and he was like, yeah, it's just a few things you said to me, you know, in that 10-minute conversation. You know, you, you poured me one drink, and then I went home, and I just completely turned my life around. I was like, I'm so happy to hear that. Like, and it's, 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 not, it's not me patting myself on the back. Um, it's me just, I'm, I'm mentioning this to sort of highlight a principle that there are a lot of people who think that their actions and their words have a complete lack of meaning, a complete lack of purpose, you know, it has no effect on others. What you say and do in front of others can have a ripple effect that honestly you will never fully comprehend. Right. So I get frustrated with people when they tell me that you know everything they're saying and doing is for naught because that's absolutely untrue as a principle. And while you are one man, you're 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 like you're basically saying cause it I think we will Devin and Gallantry fuel. By the way, he's been MIA on Instagram, so I'm gonna. You know, he was my first guest on this podcast, so I'm gonna go harass the hell out of him to uh, to get back on Instagram and start writing because he's very smart and talented young individual. But um, we were like, all right, cool. Like, kind of what you're saying. Like, there's a lot of like Norse culture. There's a lot of Viking culture. Um, you know, Greco-Roman culture that's radiating through the sphere of like the solar sphere. And the Renaissance of men and just the men's movement in general. Um, but me, Will, and Devin were asking, like, and actually Jack Donovan talked about this um, in somewhat of a, an anti white nationalist rant because honestly, like, there, there are people in this movement who think that it's like about, about white nationalism, and people like myself and Devin need to constantly remind them that it's not. Right. Um, while we agree that you shouldn't be, like, this, this, and I think the, the reason why you're seeing a rise in white national nationalism, to be honest, because you're seeing white people being demonized in general. Um, but the, the the appropriate response is not white nationalism. It's just to be very firmly proud of your heritage and your culture without being shamed by anybody. That's that's an actual restoration of, of, of balance, and. Jack Donovan sort of in response to these white nationalist types talked about how they're not the only one. They're like white cultures aren't the only cultures with a hold on masculinity and a hold on solar culture. And he talked about African traditions and South American traditions and Asian traditions being very, and I quote solar as fuck basically. Me, Will and Devin and, and, um, and our good friend, um, I'm, I'm totally forgetting Gallantry Fuel's name, which makes me feel bad now. Um, I'm gonna like edit this out and just like, and blank. Um, um, we all discuss, like, all right, cool, like, where we want to see the solar Asian, African, South American, you know, like Latin American men in the sphere. So, what you're doing, Yong, is you're starting a ripple effect that you honestly will have no idea. You'll have no idea regarding how big said ripple effect is for the entrance of Asian men in this movement, especially in the content world. So what you're doing is powerful. And I, 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 have, I have so many questions I haven't ask you about it. Um, I guess the, 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 the first regarding that is, let's say five, ten years from now. with that I, I know I just discussed, you know, not being able to, you know, quantify said ripple effect. But to attempt that, what would you like to see in, you know, with sort of like Asian representation and the masculine and the solar movement and the renaissance of men? Like in, in the realm of content, like what would you like to see radiating? What would you like to see
1: abundant? Physical fitness, you know, is probably a big one. I feel like there's a lot more soft-bodied Asians than not. And I think I actually made a post about this, too, on my page. hyper um, hypermasculinity, you know. I think having been, you know, kind of labeled as just, like, soft body, like, man-child, essentially. Like, I feel like there's been a bigger growth in fitness in the asian man community um but i guess you now how to tailor that specifically into like oh like this is a, a man manly thing to do and you should do it type situation or yeah, uh, i guess really a lot of it is kind of just the aesthetics right because I feel like the aesthetics haven't existed for a very long time. And at least in the near-term future, that would probably be the greatest to see, um, whether it's, like, you know, Tanner Guzzi and, like, the well-dressed man, you know, because there's people like that out there. Um, like in the, I want to say it's, Singapore, or Taiwan, one of those South Asian countries, um, there's an annual event of, like, tailored suits, Uh, and it originally started as just, like, an Asian thing, like a Singapore thing, or Taiwan, whichever country it is, I can't remember off the top of my head right now, but now it's, like, grown into this, like, big international event where, like, people from all around the world go to. Um, it's actually really cool. Um, actually kind of, like, one of my bucket list items to make my way there at one point. But, you know, there's, there's these aesthetics that exist already, and it's... I feel like it hasn't gotten the mainstream attention because... Again, going back to, like, the quiet Asian stereotype, right? It's like, we just, we don't really say anything. I don't know if it's, like, out of, like, a a shyness, timidness thing, or, like, it's, like, trying to keep it, like, under wraps, or whatever the case might be, but. It would be nice to see, I think, a bigger growth in the aesthetics, I think. Especially for right now, at least. Because um, it's one of those things that I, I think it's like a, a seeing or believing type thing, you know? Mm. Um, so it's like, oh, it's like, oh, okay, I can see that this is a thing. And then from there, you know, you can start getting more deeper or not deeper, whichever way you want to go. Um, mm. Diving into more philosophy which you know everybody likes to you know joke around with like the old Confucius say and all that stuff It's like yeah it's like there's a lot of philosophical stuff out there in Asia um yeah and then even like religion could like make a way in or whatever the case might be or at least just you know that that way of thinking if not the religions itself Um, but yeah you know i like i said earlier too you know it's just we have a lot to offer and it's just a matter of somebody starting to get the messages out there um and you know i know i said i'm like i'm just one man or whatever and i didn't mean that as like i don't have an effect it's I can only do so much and hopefully somebody else can, you know, kind of hop on this boat ride with me.
0: I don't think it's going to take very long for people to hop on the boat ride really, to complete, be completely honest. Um, every, I mean, you sort of laid out like a, just a general, but basically you just sort of laid out like just a general radiation of Restoration of being when it comes to being like an an Asian man, like and everything that Asian culture has to offer. You talked about aesthetics. um, You talked about you know the physical fitness as well. You talked about the philosophy, um, the the deep wisdom that a lot of Eastern religions have. Um, It's 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 everything you laid out is just sort of like almost the alignment of of a of a of a thriving. Asian man which makes a world of sense and you mentioned Tanner Guzzi um, I was browsing through his page and I saw something he wrote about sort of like style being just an outer reflection of what's going on within mm-hmm. um, that authentic expression of self that radiates not you know it's not just it's not armor it's not a shell it's not a mask it's something that again radiates from within and All those practices that you laid out—sort of deep thinking, elevated philosophical mindset, and the physical fitness to sort of forge intensity and, and forge fortitude and discipline—those um, are things that will manifest in aesthetics. It will manifest in. First of all, that that tailored suit event sounds amazing. I will definitely that's definitely being added on my bucket list as well. So I might just have to tag along with you, honestly. Um <laughs> And it, sadly, I still have not been to the Asian continent, which I've wanted to, I've wanted to go there since I was five now. So it's that, that part's very upsetting. Um, but the, I think these aesthetics come from like these, these practices within, but I think it's also bidirectional. And you, you mentioned Um, You mentioned on Devin's podcast in terms of, like, aesthetic warfare when it comes to content creation that you wanted to see more martial aesthetics of, you know, East Asian, South Asian, Central Asian, um, Middle Eastern cultures. Um, I think that that's sort of bi bi bidirectional because when people see those outward aesthetics of, like, these fully aligned Asian men, They'll want that and they'll start to seek out these practices so they, they will look like that on the outside but not because it's just again it's just a mask they're actually fully aligned essentially
1: mm-hmm.
0: and what i found interesting too in your conversation with devin Madrano was The sort of like true unification of the restoration of of Asian culture, meaning everywhere from the Asian continent. There's a lot of people. um, And actually, when I lived in England, this, this was, they think about this differently. In America, when you say Asian, people typically are referring to like East Asian and Southeast Asian, not necessarily people from the Indian subcontinent or Central Asia or the Middle East. Can you speak more on that sort of like this, is, is, is it something you're seeing like fully in the continent? Because uh, there's a very big Afghan population in the Bay Area, and a couple of training partners of mine are Afghan. They're telling me, um, well, first of all, they're telling me some very fascinating things about the actual dynamic of what's going on in Afghanistan in terms of why the U.S. military is there, which I will not get into. Um, but, it's like
1: a podcast on its own.
0: That, that dude, yeah, that's that's like a that's like a three part, you know, Instagram documentary, honestly,
1: because
0: um, <laughs> there's a lot of things we have to like explain and background to understand, like uh, the whole situation of Afghanistan itself. But, um, you know, he, he mentioned too. He's just like, I'm so glad that I grew up in Afghanistan, and you know, I came here and I'm in an Afghan community that's maintaining its roots because westernization sort like is crippling us because it stereotypes us it puts us down it labels us as savages if we hang on to our culture we hang on to our intensity but then if we fall in line then they'll just abuse us and I was like wow um, mm-hmm. and do, do you have that sort of like do you have a sense of solidarity with like all cultures of, of the Asian continent with this with this sort of the thing that you're noticing for and this need to have Asian men rise?
1: I think so. Um, so I'll like, you know, see new followers kind of join the page. And uh, I think especially with, I think it's like my third post with uh, the seek and servitude um, post. But after that, like I've started a lot more like seeing a lot more like Indian or uh, West Asian types kind of joining in. And it's like, this is really cool, like, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted this to be not just a East Asian or like a Southeast Asian thing. I wanted this to be like a whole continent of Asia thing. And uh, and it's, it's very heartening to see that there are people out there who are, you know, kind of on that same, uh, I guess, path of their journey of of wanting to revive this, like, masculine identity, right? And, I mean, obviously, I can only really speak for my experiences specifically, but at the same time, I feel like it'd be doing a disservice if I just kept feeding into just the East, uh, East Asian, like, I guess identity, um, because like Asia is such a big place and all of Asia has something to offer, um, whether it is like, you know, like your Afghan friend, um, like everybody has something to offer into this sphere.
0: Absolutely. And I think I think that's powerful too. Like when you think about it, it's like it's, it's the largest, most populous con- continent too.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Just an immense an immense history and an immense um, wealth of culture and an immense wealth of traditions and wisdom. And um, w- when you stop and think about it, th- th- there's there's damaging stereotypes of of different varieties to every single culture that comes from Asia to the Western world. And in terms of like a general, like, again, overarching renaissance of men, I think there are definitely people, I, I think this is just a dynamic of of sort of, of weakness, honestly. I mean, okay, the, uh, the more I think about it from a grand strategy standpoint, yeah, there's like, there's warfare, there's, you know, there's there's a more, Barbaric age where war was common, right? And what that did for men is men, you know, thrive because men thrive in conflict. But the world is also in chaos. So you have a lot of border skirmishes, you know, rise and fall of empires, and so on and so forth, right? Mm-hmm. I think, you know, maybe a lot of fear that occurs between men of different cultures is like, well, if they get really powerful, how are they going to see me, basically, right? Right. Are they going to see me as a fear? Are they going to see me as someone to pick off? Right? It's, it's, it's an interesting cultural dynamic, and it's something I see a lot here in, in the Bay Area, honestly. Um, I think we're at a state now where religiously, culturally, sort of internationally we're at a point where a lot of the problems are stemming just in general from good men being weaker and there are pe- there, there are men who cultivate strength but have a malicious intent who to completely, you know, destroy the playing field in general would like to see men weak so they're 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 easier to take advantage of they're easier to subdue to advance certain interests and now now I'm I'm getting into like a deep psychological question that I did not expect to get into um but and cuz I don't I don't want to go on some massive tangent um and make it a different podcast basically but um I, I think for all good men listening and good men who are part of the sphere, and, and, and sort of in and again in this renaissance of men, and I think the, the renaissance of men term encompasses the manosphere, the red pill community. Like, let's say all the good that those things have to offer. Because I've said on you know, I said on my, my podcast with uh, Cameron, you know, practice of man, I talked about how a lot of like red pill culture is kind of just becoming like bitter feminism for men, right. Um, and I don't, I don't, I think that that that's ultimately weak. Um, so the, I, I think the Renaissance of men, sort of umbrella that Will has created, is encompassing you know the solar sphere, and all the good elements of the manosphere, the Red Pill community, and sort of discarding all of the the negatives basically. And I think that's happening, and I think that's a living, breathing thing as Will has discussed it, because good men haven't been fully manifesting themselves sort of, you know, physically, mentally, spiritually, philosophically. Um, they're detached from the hero's journey that, like, is the inherent wiring of every single man. They just need to be attuned to it, essentially, as to where they're at, what cycle of their hero's journey that they're in. Um, and... I think that state of good men not being there across cultures is why we're seeing a decaying world in general. And I think it's, it's, it's abundantly important to not get too wrapped up in religion and get too wrapped up in another person's ethnicity and just... <laughs> actually, you and I were talking about Mad Men and uh, the TV series. And the guy who plays Bert Cooper is an actor named um, I want to say Robert Morse. I, I might be butchering that. I know his last name's Morse, and he originated the, the the Broadway role and film role of you know, J Pierpont Finch in a musical called "How to Succeed in Business Without Really Trying." And the final number of the of the musical. It's called the brotherhood of man. Like all men, they say your lifelong membership is, is free. Keep giving each brother all you can. Oh, aren't you proud to be in that fraternity, that great big brotherhood of man. And I think at this stage in this awakening, it doesn't getting too wrapped up in religion and ethnic background and nationality is, is playing into the divide and conquer tactic of truly evil people. Mm-hmm. And, having the having that cultural exchange of we're different but we're together. We're not, you know, pandering to some strange globalism non-culture. And helping cultivate that restoration of men will actually help cultivate the restoration of the world, basically. And the restoration of 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 cultures. So that's you're 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 doing like much harder work and like I'm doing or Forrest is doing or, you know, t- t- take any of the basically white dudes, right, who are in this uh, in this sphere because you're, you're starting something uh, of, for, for an entire continent. Which, again, I have a, a, mi- a million questions about and a million good things to say about, honestly.
1: You know, it, it's not a contest or anything like that. I, I I, think everybody has their work cut out for them. And I'm just, I guess, very proud of what I have decided to do in regards to, you know, masculinity with Asians. And like you said, you know, it's it's not about race. Because in the end, the, the idea of what a man should be is similar across the board, no matter what race, creed, culture, whatever the case might be. Um, and yeah, not to dive too deep in, you know, the evil forces at work, but there has been this global effort to kind of subdue the man. Um, I mean, I guess even in, you know, Christianity, if you look back into it, it's Adam and Eve, right? The serpent trying to subdue the man to bring him away from God or whatever the case might be. Um, it's, I guess you could argue that it's been existent since the very beginning. yeah
0: this initial seduction of man to give into pleasure but not manhood
1: right um but whichever path it is that you are taking the end goal is still the same um and i think that's that's why i'm so keen on trying to include the entirety of the asian continent um because you know like There's obviously so many different religions across the board, uh, even just in Asia, and different philosophies and ways of thinking. But in the end, it's still the same, I guess, tragedy, you could call it, of where the men have ended up at. Um, And the way forward is still Ultimately, pointing into the same direction.
0: I wholeheartedly agree. I I think that's actually kind of like the danger of people. Actually, you and I are part of a new group chat talking about this. There's this sort of like black hat Mad Max Doomsday type thing going on with a lot of guys. Mm-hmm. Um they're almost like praying for society to collapse which uh, th- that's another seven part uh, documentary or whatever you know what i mean like <laughs> like the fall of rome type thing but mm-hmm. I-, I think there're like maybe a handful of guys in that group who are like hoping that happens just so they have a shot at a stab- like reestablishing natural order as opposed to the sort of deep state thing that we have going on now, which, if that's your sentiment, I understand. Um, I think we can be a lot more surgical about it, personally. But there's also these this, this sort of, like, I want society to collapse because I'm fucking ready for Mad Max, and let's fucking do this. like, just... I'm like... Are, like, are you really, though? Like... <laughs> They're like, I got my, I got my homestead. I got my guns. Like I'm ready to throw it out. And we'll just like, I'm like, dude, d- that's not, that's not logos. That's not striving for the highest good. And in my mind, if you're not striving for the highest good, you're ultimately weak. Like that's my, the, that's the greatest generalization I have for life. And if you're not striving for the highest good as a man, you're ultimately weak. Um, it's It's the grossest generalization, but I think it's accurate um that's why i get really hesitant with like this people who are sort of pushing like neo-tribalism because while i do agree and and, and it's the aspects of neo-tribalism that makes sense are the aspects that you and i are talking about now talking about restoring masculinity restoring cultural ethnic identity right not having globalism turn that into just sort of nothingness like this communist sort of like you have no identity you're just a person part of a greater machine like no i think everyone wants to renounce that um but the danger of neo-tribalism i'm i'm, I'm starting to see that this dark side of it is this very like us versus them like when it comes down to it like you got to stick to your own type thing and it's there's there's something to be said for people who share a common bloodline in terms, of it, like co- common you know, blood ancestry from a certain land and whatnot. But, um, I think that's potentially really dangerous. Um, that, that this this shift for neo-tribalism, because that's just going to lead to further bloodshed and further diminishment of culture.
1: Right. It- It's like, it's almost, you know, it's going back to just replacing one enemy for another. It's not this global collective, like, mindset of, like, we rise together, right? Like, like you said, man, like, there's, there's meaning behind these words, right? It's like, are we really trying to rise together or, and, I mean, I, I won't dismiss the possibility of, you know, like a Mad Max scenario type happening, but I don't, I also don't think it's going to happen on a global scale, um, like obviously it'll, it'll, I have a feeling that it'll, you know, kind of go back into that, the smaller community type situations. And maybe somewhere off in the distance, there might be some Mad Max scenario, but. You know, I guess like even. Going into like the Christians kind of a mindset, it's. Like do your part in trying to spread the word, right? Like. If they decide not to accept it, then, I mean, that's on them, right? Like, but at least you know you did the work to try and bring ed- everybody into it. Um, yeah, I, I think, you know, that, that's probably, like, the most chat thing about Jesus, right? It's, like, he sat with the beggars and the prostitutes and whoever, uh, the ill people... He didn't hang out with the, the Pharisees or anything like that. It's, he was there to spread the word, uh, his or God's word, however you want to look the whole Trinity thing. But um, and that's what we're trying to do too, right? It's it's just spread the word of this idea of what a a man and what masculinity should be. Um, it's not just straight up just. Like, guns a-blazing, like, 1980s Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. It's, like, there's, like you said, a surgical process to this whole thing. And uh, it's definitely turning a blind eye if you either refuse to see it that way or are just ignorant to the fact. Um, yeah.
0: <laughs> Absolutely it's it, it, it concerns me honestly with it, it, it concerns me like how many people have different idea like increasingly how do I put this I don't want to say extreme views right because like that's playing into the whole Facebook like you may have come into contact with someone who's an extremist <laughs> and we know that's like some Orwellian you know 1984 totalitarian nonsense right? right like oh you're saying I came into contact with people who thought for themselves interesting okay cool tell me which people those are and I'll keep he'll keep, keep in contact with them basically um, I mean there, there's, there's a boatload of memes like extremists Wait, I haven't come into contact with any extremists. Maybe I'm the extremist, you know, like Neo-McCarthyism <laughs> and whatnot. Um, that bit completely cracks me up. But um, it, 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 it concerns me, like, someone, someone said this, um, a pair of political commentators who are, like, kind of okay um, in accuracy, Crystal and Sager. They said this, like, a year ago during the height of the George Floyd protests. I remember I was listening to it on the speaker system of the bar I worked at while we were trying to do like some to-go cocktail type stuff. Uh, and outside where the George Floyd protests, actually. Because, uh, yeah. Um, they were saying like, it's kind of concerning how how many people like are just completely, Ill, like if, if, if it doesn't go their way, like political outcome doesn't go their way, they are like ready to just, completely throw it out and renounce everything and just descend into chaos. Um, I I, I think like, the word nuance has been compromised in the sense that like, for example, you know, fuck it. I'm going to get into it. I'm just, just, I'm going to talk about COVID 1984. Um, I, I tried not to talk about it on this podcast, but here we are. Um, this whole like, this dancing around the fact that it still has a 99.7% survival rate, or it's just some absurd survival rate. And they were like chucking like every other statistic at it. Like, well, it's actually a lot more nuanced issue. Like, you know, it could be much worse, but you know, because people are wearing masks, um, that's why the, the flu's down. And I was like, oh, okay. Then shouldn't COVID be down? No, because people aren't wearing masks. I'm like, what, what, sir, what you just said are opposites. Like, um, like, yeah, but it's, it's, it's completely different. Like the way it works. I'm like, no, it's not. You've just, you've just completely absorbed a media narrative and you are enjoying living in fear and being, having some kind of overarching cause because you don't do jack shit with your life. And your, your overarching cause in God right now is being this, virtue singular about a, a virus with a, a 99.7% survival rate, right? right. So th- that, that's what like nuance, like the word nuance is used against humans. Like, no, it's literally standing right in front of you what's going on. And you're like, mm, you know, I don't know. Like, I think it's, I think it's a bit more nuanced. However, People don't want to use nuance in the correct context of situations that require nuance. It's like people want to descend into madness for things that require like thought and surgical thinking. And that goes across the board that goes with the outcome of society. Like I had a talk with KJ, he, he wholeheartedly believes that balkanization will occur in this country. And I wholeheartedly disagree. I think before anything gets that bad, True patriots in the military would establish order because, uh, I, I, unless the military completely gets split into some kind of civil war, then that's a whole different story in general. But I don't think I don't think balkanization is smart for this country because there are plenty of countries that would like to just swoop in and capitalize on a divided scenario. But this is just what I'm go- saying in general. It's like people want to jump to extremes because they're comfortable. Like they they feel good, they're like these full send convictions about something that it's like I'm I'm fully justified because it's it's difficult for a lot of people to flow with with nuance to flow with new details emerging, and it takes a lot of discipline to do so. But the world would be better off for it. And when it comes to like, like for example, it's like a, we, what we're what we're seeing with like the the dynamic of like all right, people who come from a European background in the Western world. It's like I want to celebrate my culture. Well, that's white nationalism. Well, how? It's like well, you guys were really good at colonizing people once upon a time. So we wouldn't want to see that again. I'm like, just because it happened before doesn't mean that's going to happen again, right? There are things that you can do. There are things that you can put into place. There are courses of action you can take. To balance things out where Asian people don't need to fall in line with a stereotype of, you know, being timid or just like their prowess being limited to the academic world or the medical world or law or all these disciplines that don't require a lot of physical strength, right, or intensity or just general expression of masculinity and martial culture white men don't need to be ashamed of their ethnic background. Like, you're seeing people, like, you're seeing tweets saying, like, I, I just have so much white guilt and I don't know if I can bring more colonizers into this world. Like, what what are you colonizing now? You live in, fuck, you live in the middle of Los Angeles. You have a nine to five. What in God's name are you colonizing right now? Um, And then you're seeing... You, you, quite frankly, and I've talked about this with Jonathan West of the Being Husband podcast. You're seeing a lot of of like black men like being shamed about tapping into their masculinity. Like you're seeing a growing effort to feminize black men, which is a fucking horrendous thing.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You're seeing middle eastern men being labeled as you, you're seeing you, you're seeing a lot of anti-islam sentiment in general so you're seeing like a lot of stereotypes being being placed upon the muslim world and they the, the the balance that a lot of people don't want to go towards is together we're not the same it's like i like uh jonathan west actually said this uh when he was a guest on will spencer's pod uh, podcast and when they're doing the race and the renaissance podcast he's like I believe black people cook black food better than other cultures. Like I don't believe that, you know, your white mother could cook blank soul food dish better than my mother. I just don't believe it. And that's okay. <laughs> like, right. Like that, That's okay to believe those sorts of things. And he's like, what about like, what, what's the dish? He's like, yeah, I guess Will was like, I guess my grandmother will obviously cook better matzo ball soup than you. Like, exactly. It, it's, 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 you, you don't have to like be like, being kind to other cultures and being very much rooted in your culture aren't opposites like this idea of together like you and i are different here's what you and i do different and here and i here's what you and i have in common here's what you and i can learn from each other like that is the healthiest thing on the planet
1: absolutely i uh i just kind of go a little off topic but i really over this last uh pandemic i i really (laughs) got into cooking and um i I feel like food you know it's like the greatest way to bring people together and like my one of my favorite things is like fusion food and i know there's like there's a lot of liberals out there like minority liberals who are like oh like this is just another white people, like, colonizing our, like, culture, like, it's like, no, it's like, they enjoy our shit, so they're trying to, you know, add a little twist to it, it's like, I find that as a sign of, like, great respect, like, they enjoyed our food so much, they also want to add to it, you know, and then, like, I honestly think the greatest now what's the word Uh, sin I guess is like white liberalism Uh, I fully believe like college aged white liberal women are just (laughs) a stain on this planet (laughs) it was just like like It's like the irony of it all is, like, trying to paint minorities as, like, not victims by placing them into this box of being victims, you know? And, like, going back to, like, Jonathan West and, like, this feminization of black men, right? It's like... Like, you're you're just, like, reinforcing this idea that shouldn't be reinforced. You know, it's... It's like if you if you say something enough times, it starts becoming true. Um, Absolutely. That could, you know, go one of two ways. It can either be, like, this, like, enlightening moment for you where you're, like, getting yourself out of, like, a really shitty situation, or it could be you ultimately victimizing yourself and you just now being this like weak low t like thing (laughs) because at that point you're not a man about it right um i don't even know where i was going with this man i was just yeah it's just it's crazy to think that people want to stay segregated so much And it's like, we're literally going backwards in history now. You know, like colleges now having like a black graduation and then you got the non-black graduation. It's like. like, Is that a thing? Martin Martin Luther King Jr. literally wanted us to be able to sit at a dinner table together and break bread with each other. (laughs) And that was like modern history was that like 70 years ago now yeah about about
0: 60 yeah
1: yeah 60 and it's just like like our grandparents were alive during this time and for some like our parents were alive during this time it's like like how did we stray so far from this path of like collective like enlightenment (laughs) you know what i mean like and I mean, going back to, you know, just this would be another like seven part podcast docuseries like, you know, whether it's like, oh, you want to talk about the global elites or whatever <laughs> this might be like, yeah, I mean, whatever you want to call it, it's some evil force out there just trying to break us down and just tear us apart and it's it's very sad to think that you know even in our community where you know it's all about just mad max scenarios, like you're just playing back into that notion of segregation and like no longer collective enlightenment
0: it's it's all reactionary for sure like the, I mean, you said a lot of really important things. There's a lot to unpack there. I think, first, yeah, first of all, like Malcolm X literally has a speech about, like, white liberals. Essentially, like, he was, he was, he was talking in the context of, um, you know, the, the situation of black people during the civil rights movement in this country, right? Um, he starts by saying there are many whites who are trying to solve the problem. Like there are, there are white people in this country basically who do not want to see segregation, but white liberals are probably the greatest enemy of the black community. And I think just sort of like white liberalism in general is like ultimately like the most actually racist and appropriating entity, right? Mm-hmm. Because gosh, all right, this, okay. we uh, we're we'll fucking do it. All right. Look, um, look. <laughs> Yeah, full set. Fuck it. The the appro- like so the appropriation bit. Like, let's talk about what appropriation is, right? Um, there are there are definitely like white dudes who will like go to a certain part of the world and just bring back the culture and profit off of it, right? And don't like even be credited with like the rise of like said cultural shift. And being a white dude, right? Honestly, like, I could see how that would be insulting, right? That makes sense. Um, And we're talking about, you know, we're talking about sort of, like, disproportionate things in the justice system in this country. I think that really does exist. Like, I think it's... I don't think it's anywhere near as skewed as people say it is, but, like, let's take, for example, the amount of um, African-American or black people, because I know Jonathan, like... Will Spencer actually asked Jonathan? He says, "Africa, you you say African American or black?" He says, "He says maybe you know four generations ago we could have said African American, but you know there's a lot a lot more going on there. You know as the generations pass, you know it's it's more of became more and more of a mix. So just say black. But, um, black people in this country." Are like still in jail for marijuana crimes, like quote unquote crimes, like sm- like as if smoking marijuana was a crime, right? I've never smoked weed, I never planned to, but I know that there's a host of medical benefits to it, and the fact that it's outlawed compared to alcohol honestly is ridiculous. Um, and then and, and the, the same, on the same, like on the other hand, you basically have like heart, like literal Harvard graduates, like opening up like luxury marijuana businesses. Well, these people are still in jail for smoking. Mm-hmm. It's ridiculous. So aspects of like, th- 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 there are a lot of aspects where there is disproportionate, um, th- 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 there's, there's justice for thee and not for me when it comes to racial dynamics in this country, basically. Um, the stop and frisk policy, which is a violation of the fourth amendment Miranda rights in by the New York city police department, I saw, you know, a whole documentary about that. Mm-hmm. When it comes to like this appropriate, like a dynamic I'm finding, like here, especially in Oakland, I'm again, being a white dude, or but being, let's just say a person of European descent in Oakland is it's like, why aren't you showing enough of our culture that if I, uh, if I'm like praise it and show it, then you're appropriating. It's like, I, I, I don't know what to do. Like, and then that just throws a lot of white people who do have to do come with good intentions and do want those cultural exchanges and do want to break bread. It leaves them sort of bewildered and it leaves them sort of like, I don't know what to do. So I'll just go back in my hole. And I think it's almost counterintuitive. Um, when it comes to cultural appropriation, I think I think if you very clearly state that you're making fusion food, like for example, my so between, like my father is a full-blooded Canarian, but he was born in Cuba, and a lot of Chinese people came to Cuba to help build railroads there. So you have an actual like Chinese Cuban fusion cuisine that you'll see all over the East Coast, uh, especially in New York City. It's fucking amazing. Like so you have this cultural exchange, like that blended in, into something, and it's you. You can talk about like actually ch- Chinese food in San Francisco is like a whole. It's like a whole completely different cuisine now. Like Chinese, like there's I think there's a whole documentary about this too. Like uh, I think General Tao's chicken, which is like a, which is like a dish that was created here in San Francisco, that was like just completely caught fire in this country, and they uh, they like. I think in the documentary, they, like, brought it to China and they started asking people who were, like, who have been cooking, you know, traditional Chinese food for centuries, like, what they thought of it. Like, I mean, we know General Tao existed. Did he like chicken? We have absolutely no idea. <laughs> like, this sort of dynamic, and like, the same thing as fortune cookies didn't start in China. They started in San Francisco. So you have, like, this new cuisine that's, like, it's like a, it's like a San Franciscan Chinese, you know, generational cuisine that occurred. Is anyone calling that appropriation? No. Are there people who are dumb enough to call that actual Chinese food? Yes. Like, they, is is that like this huge cultural appropriation? No. And, I I think. I think maybe what, what could be beneficial, like, in the future moving forward is people being less to jump into, like, police mode of, like, you're a racist or you're, like, culture appropriating. But also on the flip side saying, like, I recognize that this comes this comes from A, this comes from B. I think this would be a, a fascinating sort of portmanteau of both. And I think there's something that we could both benefit from here. I think that breaking of bread will be far more powerful than, like, honestly white liberalism like how, like I, I've the only people I've ever been accused of being racist by are white liberals like yeah never black people never Asian people <laughs> never you know true African people Latin American people no it's only been white liberals and it's ridiculous
1: yeah it's funny because i was actually called like a white supremacist before by a white liberal woman and i was just like i i'm sorry like did i hear that right it's like yeah you're just you just uh what is it propagating like white supremacism it's like what in the world like the situation have we gotten ourselves into where I have a white lady calling me an Asian <laughs> a white supremacist <laughs> I just like I like laughed and I was like okay like this conversation is clearly over uh, it's 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 very sad to think that you know people are so quick to demonize each other in that way and it's, like You know, just going back to, like, breaking bread. It's like, have you actually, like, just kind of, like, sat back, thought about, like, what is going on, and, like, seen it from a different perspective? And, you know, on any, either side of the spectrum, like, whether you're conservative or liberal or whatever the case might be, like, there's no, like, dialogue anymore that exists. And, I mean the evil forces that are at play i I guess that's that's what they wanted right and you know not to dump this bottle of like black pilling on the podcast but it's it's sad that we're at that point but i also have hope that there are more people who think like you and i do than not And so uh, I guess I kind of cling on to that, whether it's by, you know, by a single thread, um, but it's it's clinging on to that hope that, you know, one day it it will get better. Uh, But, you know, as most things go, it's always going to get a little bit more worse before it does get better. Um, Yeah.
0: I completely agree. Um, I, I, I think what, what's what's caught fire in this country is the the, the the crowd, the hive mindset somehow has been, well, I, I, I know how, but again, that's a longer podcast. Um, well, okay. To, t- to touch upon it briefly, Occupy Wall Street before that, you didn't see all these publications like doing these deep dives into racial dynamics. It's a divide-and-conquer tactic because people started to realize it's just banker elites that are the enemy, basically. I'm just going to come out and say it. Um, so, like, well, how can we get them to focus on each other? Okay, well, we have gender, religion, race. So we're going to start publishing, especially in this country, because it has a history of slavery, quite frankly. very It's very easy to sort of like spark that fire in this country. Um, you know, they blame the police. There's 35 million encounters a year between police and how many of them wind up like they do, like the, like the ones that you're seeing in the news. Less than 1%, like far less than 1%. Um, but that's that's, it's coming to this like, what what I'm seeing, what what I see from white liberals are people who aren't actually trying to solve the problems. They're just trying to get this badge of honor and this credit of not being racist by virtue signaling. They don't actually want to solve anything. They just want to show the world how not racist they are because of this given climate. They're not coming to people with, with open arms saying, What can I do? They're just like swearing up and down in their social media how not racist they are. Right, And that that's, that's somehow become the, that, that that's now become the sort of the hive, you know, the hive mind, like mob mentality type. Like there's 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 a book I've referenced multiple times on, on my page called, uh, the crowd by Gustav Le Bon, the study of the popular mind. Um, top five books I'd recommend to anybody. Like typically people ask me for book recommendations. They're asking like for, you know, like literature, basically they're asking for narrative you know, fiction. Um, but if you're seeing any books, I, I always it's it's just over 100 pages. Uh, the Crowd by Gustav Le Bon, talking about how mob mentality is never something we're going to get rid of. Like language basically came from crowd dynamics. Anytime someone tried to create a language, it didn't like they wanted Esperanto to be the global language, it, it didn't stick. It didn't stick. People, the speech is organic and it comes from this this crowd mentality, right? It's very powerful. You can influence the crowd in one direction if you're surgical and you do it right, and you know what buttons to press, right? But you can't completely. You can influence the crowd mentality, but you can't completely control the crowd mentality. It's it's truly impossible. Um. And so that that that's 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 what's happened in this country. And like, what what, what did you what do you see from House politicians? You saw them. Culturally appropriating fucking kente cloth from Ghana, like Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer, they're all like kneeling, wearing kente cloth, and that's like that. <laughs> they they, they tried to get in that out of the news cycles like as quickly as possible, and the memes were just absolutely relentless. Like the me, the memes were undefeated for that one.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And it, but ultimately, like yeah, the memes are funny, but it's it's kind of it's it's sad to me because what it's ultimately doing. Is just doing this Salem witch hunt instead of actually solving problems. There, there are race-related problems in this country. There's Asian violence in this country. I've there, there have been plenty of cases where, especially actually here in the Bay Area, unfortunately, it makes me very sad to say, specifically in Oakland, not less so in San Francisco, but in Oakland, of violence against Asian people, and related to like. This is a perfect example of not thinking, not being nuanced, of not being surgical, of COVID-1984 nonsense. Like, Corona, the beer, wasn't selling when the lockdown started. Like, it was not selling at all. I'm like, oh, my God. And, (laughs)
1: like,
0: how dense can you be? And then you're seeing people, you know, physically harm Asian people because, like, well, take your virus back to China. I'm like, do you, do you, what? Like, what? If you would, like, I'm, I'm sure that the, the people in China who were living in the initial lockdown in the Hubei province and Wuhan were more pissed off about the handling of it by the, the hand of the CCP than they were by their fellow man. Right. And you just, you want to lash out in anger. You want, you want someone to blame. You want someone to physically harm. And that's ultimately weak. That's ultimately not masculine. Strength is a masculine virtue. And it takes strength to quell your anger and to actually start thinking rather than be reactionary and emotional.
1: Absolutely. And we talked about this on our, uh, you know, a little walk through San Francisco too. Um, how during my road trip I had uh, seen these uh, protesters uh, who were Chinese um, and basically they were like denouncing the CCP and their and the, this whole COVID thing and I was just found that very interesting it was just like like why isn't this being televised you know like this from Chinese people and their denouncement of the, the COVID situation, you know, because even our current president has just not really pointed the blame in the direction it should have been, you know, it's it became a another left versus right like political rhetoric right like oh like oh the conservative america is just a bunch of racist like rednecks like no like clearly china fucked something up and all evidence is pointing this way and nobody is televising this nobody's talking about this and it's just feeding the fire of this like divisiveness and is very mind-boggling to me. Because, you know, people, we are, we are social animals. Like, we, we need to belong somewhere. And it's, I guess, this lack of foresight of, like, seeing the bigger picture, it's, like, like, how how can you guys not see that this is just another scare dividing tactic that they're using against us? You know? and, And it goes for both sides of the political spectrum. It's just, like, when will we finally wake up and realize that, you know, like, quote the the homeless man at City Hall in San Francisco it's like, we the people <laughs> you know <laughs> um, I guess for those listening up uh, when I was waiting for Arthur over by City Hall there's this homeless man yelling at a, a security guard for City Hall and just screaming like we the people and I mean if this like homeless guy gets it like why can't what I would assume are functioning members of society figure this out as well? You know, but I guess it just goes back to, like, the scare tactic and people just eating it up like a bag of potato chips, like, yeah, now I feel like I'm getting too black pill <laughs> <laughs> And I need to stop myself before I get a little depressed
0: i mean every a lot of things are laced with black pills to be honest right yeah um it's you know i'm not okay wow we're we're, we're like covering all the taboos it's awesome um with 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 so with the with the current figurehead, right? Because we know, really, that guy doesn't even know where the fuck he is. Um, if you, like, pay attention at all to Joe Biden attempting to speak.
1: Oh, God. It's such a shit show.
0: <laughs> you know he's just a figurehead. Like, it's... He, even his press secretary doesn't even know what's going on. Okay? That says it all. Right. Um, but... He, he won't acknowledge... Uh, he, he won't stand up to... Not, it's not a people. It's a, it's an oppressive government entity, right? And I think why Trump was like so China virus, China virus, because he was focusing on China, the country, and of course the, the media spun it as spun it as like a, a front against the Chinese people. And I think a lot of Trump supporters, like who are honest, there there's there's a lot of it, you know Trump supporters. Like I'm sorry, I know a lot of people, a lot of friends of mine voted for Trump. I'm not anti-Trump, um, but it, I, I would have preferred if he labeled like this. The, he would have labeled like the CCP's virus, basically, because it would have differentiated right the Chinese people versus the CCP. Because a, a lot of people in China do not want to be living under the CCP. And every time I'm in San Francisco, like at Dolores Park or in Chinatown or North Beach. I, I have Chinese people coming up to me with the same pamphlets you're talking about, like talking about the evils of the CCP. I worked with a chef, a pastry chef, actually, who's from China. And she's telling me all about what's actually going on in China, which is fascinating. And yeah, the CCP did keep it under wraps. We know crematories were working around the clock as early as November.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And they didn't share much of the world. So yeah, that, that's on the, that, that, that virus spread is on the CCP. And what's infuriating about the current publicly speaking entity tied to some idea of the White House, that's what I'm going to call it, um, is they won't call out the CCP for anything, which is ultimately massively racist, which is it's, it's funny how this thing circles back yeah. because the CCP is engaging in a genocide. They're engaging in the Uyghur genocide. They're engaging in the suppression of Taiwanese culture, Mongolian culture, various other uh, Chinese cultures that aren't uh, part of the Han Chinese ma- uh, majority there. And they're doing, they're, they're going straight out of the communist handbook. Like um when Stalin uh, was in power, he, uh, I mean, it's, dude, we are going everywhere. Like we are, this is becoming like fucking bitch, you know, um, Basically, like, we're getting into Tatarian mud floods, but in 99, the CIA declassified a document that was written in 1957 describing a order made by Joseph Stalin in 1944, in September, basically talking about, basically ordering the destruction of all history of the Tatarian culture, which is a culture that lived in Central Asia and Siberia, that had an immense wealth of, like, architecture and advances and so on and so forth because it was counterintuitive with the ideals of communism and that's what we're seeing with the ccp we're seeing the destruction of an ethnic identity and the destruction of religion and destruction of a bunch of things which is state-backed racism and this current figure won't even call that out right it it, it boggles the mind and then we have people in this country like LeBron James and John Cena who refuse to, to call them out because they are making too much money from them. Right. What does that say? Like, that? that's that's a black pill and a half. That's, I don't follow sports ball too much. Um, I, at least I try not to. I never really hated LeBron James, honestly. A lot of people, you know, fuck, you, you, go, go on Instagram, search LeBron James. You'll see, like, just endless arguments about him like i i don't care enough about anyone spend that much time arguing about them right right i mean anyone i don't know rather (laughs) but that's my main criticism of him is he's become a, a, a ccp shill and the ccp is like to be to be fair i don't know um I think um, who was it? I think um, Ben House of Oaks and Oats. I think he was one. Of, yeah, he was one I was talking about. He has he's been to Xi'an, China, where the the White Pyramids of, of China are, and he was talking about not necessarily the suppression of culture, but the suppression of just identity there. And these are the these are the type of divide and conquer entities that we're dealing with like they're they're more prevalent like out in the open over there and they're more insidious here and they're being sold as this sort of vague moral compass of virtue signaling here in this country and ultimately what's letting that go unchecked is unmasculine men of all cultures it's almost it's a duty to humanity it's a duty to your gender, and it's a duty to your respective religion and culture to be strong. If you're not, you're letting things like this happen. Like it, 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 it's kind of like it, it's it's very like A to like jumping from A to Z. Like if you don't get strong, you're letting things like the Uyghur genocide happen. You're letting things like critical race theory happen. The feminization of black men happen. Um, the star- like the the suppression of the Asian masculine, the Asian thumos. Happen, but every person has a part to play. It's not some external thing. It's all internal. Like you have, you have a part to play. And if you're not getting strong, if you're not becoming your best version of yourself as a man, you are letting evil win.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, it, it kind of goes back to like those who, you know, believe in this Mad Max scenario and essentially going internal and. <laughs> it it kind of feeds into that that whole thing of just not being masculine in the ways of you know you see what needs to be done but choosing not to do it because oh it's all going to crash and burn anyways you know it I think that's ultimately what, what went wrong with this country too, right? It's just, you know, you had less conservative voters at the polls and, you know, now, now it's like, oh, now, like, what happened to our country? It's like, well, you guys sat back and had no faith in that the system would correct itself. But the system will only go whichever way the people want it to go. And if you're not actively partaking in it, you know, in our case, like if you're not embracing these masculine virtues of, you know, of the moral compass pointing north and all that, then you're, you're just as bad as the guy who's actually actively participating in the destruction of society as we know it. Um, I forget what the quote is or who said it or how it goes, but it's basically like a man who's complicit is just as guilty of committing a crime. Like the Bible even talks about it. uh, where, Where it's like, you know, if your left hand sins, oh, yes, yes. You cut the left hand. Um, but, you know, it's just... If you sit oddly by knowing what's right, that you might have as well just committed to sin yourself. Um, and that's what this ult- movement is ultimately about right it's knowing that there needs to be work done to fix it and correct it and i mean essentially for a lack of better words uh be a man about it and fix it (laughs) exactly Whether, whether you can do it yourself personally or you can you know if you're more of a like a speaker then you can inspire others to do it themselves uh, but it's finding what your part in this bigger collective is and working those strengths for the betterment of mankind
0: absolutely you know i you know i'm not gonna say that i was i was i was gonna say i can't guarantee that we'll make it, but I can guarantee, you know, and I can also guarantee that if you continue to have like this, you know, everything will be destroyed anyway. Yeah. Well, you're the self-fulfilling prophecy in saying that. Mm -hmm. The black pill holds no fruits. The black pill is just the obstacle towards getting to the white pill. Definitely. That's all that it is. If you think you can stay there, you know, it's bringing something completely out of left field to to relate. But in terms of like metaphysics and talking about auras, like are your or like auras have colors? Your aura is red. Your aura is fiery. Aura is blue. It's, it's more peace. Talk about the black aura of tragedy being temporary. You can't live there. A lot of people want to live there. A lot of people after a tragedy. Become empowered because there's something they need to change in their life post-tragedy. And they think the fuel in that in changing is in that black aura. Like, oh, I need to stay bitter. I need to stay down because it's what drives me to be better. But it's only it's only meant to be a catalyst. And people are acting like it's a way to live base your life on. And I understand being prepared. Yeah, get proficient in martial arts. Get good at fighting with knives. Get good at shooting. Get good at surviving in the wild. Get good at growing your own food. You should be doing these things anyway. But if your motivation for that is this Mad Max scenario, I don't have time for you.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I will say the greatest thing I appreciate about Will's *Rent of Men* uh, sphere is the fact that there are so many guys who have all these different perspectives, but we can all talk about it in a civil manner. You know, and uh, like big, big credit and shout out to Will for really leading that charge um i mean i said it on devin's podcast too he was he was the greatest motivation behind me you know starting this asian men rising uh, content page because he you know i think on like three separate occasions he had like brought up like why is there no japanosphere you know just referencing asian men in general it's like like, I, I thought about it. I was like, yeah, like, why the hell isn't that one? <laughs> and so that was like the biggest motivation for me, you know, starting the page. And
0: that's, it's, it's something I've been, I've been wanting, honestly, as well.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, there's, um, my, like I I I said this I think maybe may, may, I think maybe on my first podcast I want to say it Was either my first or my second episode no I think it was actually I think it was my third um for the Q, when I when I, I used to do a Q and A bit from Instagram questions after every podcast now I just do separate AMAs but um they asked me what my favorite warrior culture was and I'd be lying if I didn't say it was the samurai culture. Like I'm not Japanese, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, I'm Canarian, Basque, Piedmontese, and you know, uh, in, within those countries, you know, if you were to look at a map, it's Spain, Italy, and France. There's some, there's, there's some amazing Basque border culture. The more i the more I've dug. A lot of people believe that, and this is actually making more and more sense that the Wanche people uh, that I'm descended from in Canary Islands are like remnants of Atlantis. Um, There's a Viking culture there. There's a Berber. Berber is. I recently found out that Berber is a derogatory term for North, like proto North African people, who are actually like more bronze of skin than anything. Um, The correct term is Azir. There's a great warrior culture with them. Um, but I, I, I have fallen in love with no warrior culture more than samurai culture. So like a lot of my, and, and still to this day, a lot of my early aesthetics were Japanese. Um, and there's a, when I, whenever I go to, I, when I used to work down in San Jose briefly, I, um, I would go to the Korea town there and that's and I actually had a at the same time I had a a training partner who was half Korean and I began to uh actually even before that I dated a girl in high school who was Korean um who she started showing me the food and the culture and everything and I I began to fall in love with that as well and so many people are going to benefit from getting to know it and it's, it's something that I'm excited to see um And I guess, you know what, also, while we're here, just a general call-out for any listener who comes from an African or a Latin American background, who is wondering where the sphere is, where is the, the African sphere of the solar movement, where is the African sphere of the Renaissance of Men, and respectively for Latin American, like a Latin American sphere for the Renaissance of Men. I wanna see it just as much as you do. That's and it also it ultimately lies within you. Because if you're listening, man, well, I'm telling you to do something about it, quite frankly.
1: Yeah, as I don't as, really know that, that global collective journey that we're all on, like ultimately that step starts with you and you know, if, if there's something that you think is missing and something that you would like to see, then, you know, just ask yourself a question. Why not me? That's what I did. And, you know, not, not to toot my own horn or anything like that, but sometimes that's all it takes. is just asking yourself, why not me? Um, and that could go anywhere from, like working out or learning how to you know change the oil in your car or like or deciding to be the next greatest like philosopher um it's just a matter of taking the short like five minute self-reflection like and you know, to put it bluntly, just doing the damn thing. Exactly. Exactly.
0: Young, I'm at about that time.
1: Myself as well.
0: I know you got some ribs to uh,
1: chow down on. Yes, sir. Still got a couple hours, you know, gotta go low and slow.
0: What's um, the best way to do them that's that's true barbecue exactly and you're gonna be seeing a lot of that when you move to Texas correct
1: absolutely I uh <laughs> I kind of joked about it uh, you know some of the world's greatest pit masters are out of Texas it's like well maybe I'll try and uh, dabble my little fingertips in in that as well while I'm out there I've always really wanted a smoker so um, And, you know, there's obviously so many different ways of actually smoking things, whether it's, like, in the ground, uh, like a lot of Latin American cultures do, or even Native cultures in America uh, do that as well. Um, But, yeah, I'm excited to see uh, where my culinary uh, journey takes me.
0: (laughs) As am I. I'm going to have to come out and visit you in, uh, in El Paso.
1: Absolutely, please do. We'll, we'll chow down on some, some good meat.
0: Absolutely, and with all, that, with all that desert land out there, we should go shooting too.
1: Absolutely.
0: <laughs> but before we go, where can people find you and what can people expect in the coming weeks and months from Asian Man Rising?
1: Uh, so Asian Man Rising is on Instagram. Uh, I got rid of Facebook because it was just getting way too Polarized, Um, but Asian Man Rising is where you can find me. It's just one big word, Asian Man Rising. Uh, No special characters, nothing like that. And uh, I actually plan on doing a uh, AMA here sometime in the near future, Um, just to see what the people want. Because I did, you know, point out on my very first inaugural post, that I wanted this to be a community of discussion and all this stuff. Um, so I, I definitely wanna hear what the people want. Um, but I guess, you know, for people, what, they're, what they should be expecting is embracing, me trying to embrace I guess, a more warrior-esque, a warrior poet-esque aesthetic, I guess you could put it. Um, I'm definitely tailoring it more so to what I view myself as a person. Mm -hmm. um, Because I do do a lot of introspection. But at the same time, you know, if I got to lace up the boots and, you know, pick up my rifle then so be it right um, like that one quote better to be a warrior tending the garden than a gardener at a time of war absolutely so yeah, you're... I think that's definitely the direction I'm probably taking my contact
0: well you have the marshal bit down and once again thank you for your service
1: Thank you for the support.
0: Absolutely. And your writing prowess is increasing rapidly. So, Thank you.
1: That means a lot coming from you. It really does.
0: I appreciate that. It's, 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 my, it's my pleasure, man. It's, you know, I, 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 it was an honor, um, you know, getting to, you know, have a back and forth about one of your pieces uh, over at a, a certain bar in Fort Mason. In San Francisco.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And um no, I'm I'm really excited to see your page grow. I'm excited to see your writing because you know it is evident that you're you're honing in more and more and more and more on all of that content that you have within you. So the poet side is now manifesting and all the people reading your content are gonna be the beneficiaries of that. Yeah. Absolutely. So, guys, go follow Young. Go follow Asian Man Rising on Instagram. Read all of his content. Share all of his content. Because we are one great brotherhood of men. Until next time, good night and good storms. Thank you.